Hi, this is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. My interview with uh, Tanana Reeve Du, who is up there now, fascinating woman, fascinating conversation. I'll be talking to the Pulitzer Prize-winning novelist Richard Powers for my next conversation. So you can check all that out at uh, authormagazine.org. And of course, we're funded by the great people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Oh, we just finished our conference and it was great. We did it all virtually, getting a little better at that. Went great. Uh, we had some had some great conversation with people, taught some great classes. It was a lot of fun. Thanks to everybody who showed up. Uh, we'll be doing it again next year. I don't know how it's going to work. We're going to do something a little differently, a little virtual, a little in person. I don't know. But anyway, it was great. And if you want to learn about the PNWA, if you want to join their conference, you can do so at pnwa.org. Yes, indeed. Well, not much going on right now. So let's dive into this fascinating conversation I just finished with Sarah Lipton City Bay. She is uh, from London, England, as you will gather immediately once you start listening to us. But she has written three volumes of short stories, three volumes of poetry, a play, a children's book, film script, song lyrics, and two educational textbooks. Some of her short stories were actually broadcast on the radio when she was just a young girl and uh, a young woman, and her poetry has been published in numerous anthologies. She has received an award from the Poetry Society in England, and her poem Stagnation was shortlisted in the National Anthology Poetry Competition in 2005. Her poem Wishful Thinking was published in the Poems in the Waiting Room pamphlet in 2010. She was also the featured poet in Bareback Lit Magazine in October 2012. And this is our conversation, and I'm so glad I get to share it with you now. Enjoy. Well, Sarah, thank you for being on the show. Welcome welcome to Author to Author. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Well, Sarah, you are a woman of, uh, of many talents, of many different um, <laughs> pursuits. Um, yes. Fiction, poetry, music. Yes. yes. Theater. Yes. Um, but let's back up. When yes. Did, how did all this, this journey begin for you? Was it... Was it, creatively speaking, what was the first thing that really lit up for you? Or was it just all of, sort of everything all at once? No, it began when I was a child. I would say the literature was what I was aware of first, because I loved reading books from when I was a child. Um, I found books an additional friend because I didn't have siblings Mm -hmm. So I had loads of friends at school, but when I was at home, because it was just my parents and myself, I found books an additional friend because I didn't have anyone around my age. So I just loved escaping in different worlds. And it actually proved very beneficial because I turned out to be top for English throughout school. I would get come one or two in tests, which were held when I was at primary school, which I think is equivalent in the States to junior high. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, then when I was about 12, the teacher, who I found a great inspiration, Miss Sellers, hung one of my poems on the wall, The Nightmare. So I knew from then because the teacher 
um, who I had to see for registration before I went to my first lesson, Miss Clark, she would start reading some of my stories aloud to the others in the group. And I felt a little embarrassed, first of all, but Miss Chandler, who was my English teacher from when I was 14 to 16 before I left secondary school, she praised my writing and she thought it was just so good. And I, I and I and for the English literature and language exam, I I got through very well um, at, at school. And so I knew about the literature from then, from when I was a child. Right. With the acting, that came a bit later because when I graduated, there was very high unemployment in Britain. Mm. It was when Thatcher was prime minister. Oh. Unemployment reached about three million. Right. So I'm not the type to laze about. So I had six months unemployment. And in that time, I wrote most of my short stories, which became A Journey into Fear and Fantasy, which was published in 2017. Oh, interesting. And also, at the same time, I went to um, an adult education acting class, and the lady who ran it, Claire, would stage um, musicals every May. I mean, she was a former actress. So I realised I had a talent for that then, and singing. I developed my singing voice. I had some private lessons, and then I entered performing art, nine performing arts festivals in oh. the 90s. And then with the acting, I entered four awards as an external candidate, because with the London College of Music and the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, what's really good is that you don't have to attend full time. You can actually enter for their awards externally, which I did because at that time I knew it's very difficult to get into acting. Lots of actors struggle for years and uh, you don't have money coming in regularly. So I thought I'd do it on the side. So I saw the head of um, speech and drama, Doreen Fisher, privately once a week. I still remember the date used to be on the Thursday afternoon. And then I got the licentiate in acting that way, plus um, the gold medal in first and prose from Lambda, the gold medal in public speaking, and a number of other speech awards. Right. And then with the music, I mean, I wrote my song lyrics from the 90s, but I was a specialist with the words more. I advertised for people to see to the music, but the people who contacted me, they actually, uh, some of them didn't even know how to use sequences. <laughs> I had started learning the guitar from right. when I was at secondary school, but it was extracurricular, so I had to miss a lesson. It right. was physics, which I couldn't stand, but it was just the fact I had to catch up with physics. <laughs> and, then at the, and then I wanted to start growing my nails, and for string instruments, you have to have such sort nails. you got to get your so, priorities, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> that... But um, I love the acoustic guitar. I'm going to actually take it up again because it's not a difficult instrument to learn, unlike the violin or right. the accordion. Right. Um, and um, interesting. So, 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 so they developed um, in different stages. Right. First, it was first the literature from childhood, then um, acting when I first graduated, acting and singing, and then the musical instrument, the guitar, when I was at secondary school. Um, yes. Yeah, interesting. You know, you know, it's interesting listening to your little, the, the sort of brief journey, uh, the brief description of a long journey. Um, I, it, it's similar to a lot of writers' experience or artists' experience, certainly mine as well, which is you yeah. receive a certain attention as a young person for this thing that you can do. And, mm. and I always think it's interesting because the truth is the arts is such an inside-out thing. Of course, we want mm. recognition. It's always mm. helpful and just from a purely... Um, financial point of view but mm. there is something about especially as a young person the mm. external recognition which seems to 
goad us along. I, I tend to believe we would do it anyway, but it mm-hmm. does seem to mm-hmm. speed things up when some adult says, hey, you're good at that. Mm-hmm. Does, mm-hmm. What do you think of that? What do you think about that too? Because at the end of the day, you got to believe in yourself more than anybody else. Yeah, you can't sit around waiting for everybody to tell you you're good. But there is something about people saying, wow, hey, I, I like that. What do you think about that, that sort of dichotomy? I think it's very important, especially when you're a child, because I, I've always felt that the teaching profession, well, in England, it's very undervalued and the pay's hopeless, because a teacher can be a real inspiration for children yeah. in many ways. And, you know, they, they are substitute parents because the children yeah. are there five days a week. And, and teachers are in a way babysitters to some extent, and they're not valued enough. And they can real, really give an inspiration to children, as Miss Sellers did for myself regarding my writing and Miss Chandler, because they spotted it at that age. Yeah. And then I think that's probably what encouraged me when I had the period of un- unemployment when I graduated during Thatcher's Britain <laughs> to actually sit down and write my short stories. And I also started writing my poetry from when I was 17, because some of the poems in that collection I wrote when I was 17, 18. What I did at the time, I also went to an an adult education class in the evening in creative writing just to get feedback on my work. And um, the tutor was very impressed because he was very encouraging as well. His name was Daythorpe and he said to me, Sarah, you should be a professional writer. You're so good. And he actually even word processed some of my stories because then I couldn't type and I didn't have a computer. And he told me to send them to a program called Through the Night, which was on LBC Radio, presented by Therese Birch. And I did so, and she read through of my stories in the 80s. And I was really pleased. I had to set my clock at three in the morning because the program was on in the early hours. But still, I felt so thrilled. You know, I've actually had some of my stories broadcast. And it was a day thought. How old were you? How old were you when you heard it? I was 22. Oh my God, you you little whippersnapper! So you so you're 22 years old. It's the yeah. dead of night. You're sitting alone in your room, listening yeah. to some perfect stranger read your story. How did it feel to hear your words spoken by another person, interpreted by another person in that way? That must have been kind of magical. Yes, it was because I mean, she had a voice that brought the work to life. Because you can get some people who read their work aloud. Right. or others allowed and their voices aren't that expressive right so that was nice and she read the reincarnation the ordeal and trapped in the environment yeah and she sent me letters as well um, which i still got in one of my files and so that was really really nice right. and then the poetry as well i had written um i've written so many poems because i began at 17 so in the collection i've got them in divided into categories because I, I did, because I had written so many, I've got a number which are about London, for example, a, a number that are about the past, a number that are about the environment, the seasons, nature and the environment, because I had written so many. But of course, in the collection, they had to limit it. They right. couldn't put all of right. them in. But no, it, it really does help if you get encouragement and recognition from adults when you're a child. It helps. It helps. But at some point, there's got to be a spark in you that says, this is so interesting. It's so interesting to work with language this way, to communicate something. And you also have to have a feeling of something you want to communicate, something yes. that, that wants. And when you think about what is dry, I mean, it's every, but I think all artists work in themes in some way or another. Yes. You know? yeah. um, have you, have you seen that in yourself? 
Well, with the stories, they're all dark fantasy mm-hmm. and supernatural tales. And the influence for, for that was actually the Hammer, the Hammer Horror films with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, because I used to love watching those. They used to be shown on a Friday night. Wow, I remember okay. watching them when I was 19 years old. My mother would be asleep on the sofa. My father was in bed and I'd sit there and watch. And I loved watching those. And Tales of the Unexpected, there were stories that Roald Dahl, he's mainly known as a children's writer, but he wrote those tales for adults and they were televised on the television. So um, those were influences for the stories. And then with the poetry from some, quite a few of them from my life experiences and then times in my life when I came across vulnerable adults or worked with them as well. Because I had a period I had worked with people who'd had mental health problems. I, um, I had done some voluntary work with ex-offenders. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so those those were the influences. And what was it like working with um, uh, the ex-offenders and and some of the I would because people who are struggling um, or have struggled um, so much about art is is us working through our challenges. We write about mm. them. We don't write about the easy times usually. Mm. Um, so I don't know what your own life was like in terms of that regard, but d- did you find it inspiring there? Just the, 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 um, what they've been through or were going through. I did because one of the poems in the collection is called cycle of offending. And it's actually based on somebody I, I knew who actually didn't have a, a, a good childhood. He was raised in care from when he was very little because his mother had mental health problems and his granddad really couldn't look after him because his granddad was too old. And he was abused in Shirley Oaks um, Children's Home. It was mentioned on the news here. There was a lot of abuse. There's a big scandal about it. So he now has post-traumatic stress disorder and clinical depression. He told me all the pills he's taking and it's absolutely terrible. And a lot of those survivors from that home have, have, have wanted to commit suicide and it's really had a terrible psychological impact on right. them. But he told me he had had a spell in prison as well. Right. Um, he wasn't encouraged at school and it's usually the case exclusions from school, then it le- leads to criminality. So Cycle of Offending is based on Wayne's experiences. And right. then I have a poem in there called Oppression and it's about how hard life is for a lot of people in this country because it's a very expensive country to live in and a lot of people are just surviving yeah. don't believe what they say all the time they show the royal family and oh, people wow. all see them and they're just living in a different world of course yeah. you know, tony blair who went to um, a top public school then oxford the majority of people in this country have not had that type of right. education with these elite private schools and elite universities a lot of people are just getting by and a lot of children going to school hungry and a lot of people going to food banks and this was even before the pandemic so oppression is based on the experiences of a lot of people what they're experiencing in this country as well as my poem land of hope and glory which is the english national anthem Uh as well as jerusalem because you've got the british national anthem which is um god save our gracious queen but the english national anthem is either Jerusalem or Land of Hope and Glory. And Land of Hope and Glory is is ironic. It's, an, it's, it's a satire because um, people who live here know it's far from a Land of Hope and Glory for a lot of people. And it actually mentions poverty and, and inequality in it and the long waiting list for people to have health care. 
in this country. I mean, people don't have to pay here as in the States, but still with the National Health Service, there are long, long waits, especially since the pandemic came. Sure, sure. And so there's a lot of struggle. You've been witness to it. You've been privy to it. But you describe um, when you're young, your your youth, Mm. when you were um, discovering literature for yourself, uh, Mm. only child and how stories are like friends. I do think that's a great description of a book. Uh, like a friend in that way it's such an intimate experience and such mm, a mm, such mm. a relationship in this way mm, have mm. you have you ever thought about the work that you are sharing with the world now as providing a kind of friendship for people you'll never know that your work is now that for somebody else yes yes because um with me I love the arts and but but for me, it's not just about doing what I love. It's about bringing joy to others. And for example, back in 2010, my poem "Wishful Thinking," which were, which is one of my lighter poems, is mm-hmm. about how I'd like to travel here, there, and everywhere. I've done quite a lot of travelling, but there's still a lot of places I haven't been to. That was actually put in the poems in the waiting room pamphlet, oh, nice. uh, which oh, is nice. which is sent to hundreds of doctor surgeries throughout Britain because the charity poems in the waiting room did research and found that when people are waiting to see their doctor, that's their GP in this country, you see he's a jack of all trades, he'll refer you to see specialists if you need to. While people are waiting to see him or her, it actually uplifts them if if they're reading really joyful poetry. Right. And so I was really flattered. One of my poems was included because most of the poets included people who were dead now, such as Lord Tennyson and... (laughs) Christina Rossetti so I was put there with them and I felt really really pleased and when that happened I thought well I'm so pleased because if someone is feeling so depressed even suicidal and they're waiting to see their doctor and they read that and it uplifts them for me that's part of the joy of being an artist oh that is lovely that is so nice and I think it's so important sort of to hang on to because as an artist Mm -hmm. you will spend time looking at the darker parts of life, perhaps, perhaps, that people don't, perhaps would rather not look at, but you feel it's worth your attention to tell these stories, but to know that your work can, can uplift people. Also, by the way, do for others what, it, what work did for you, that, that it's, that you can, you can offer that mm-hmm. same gift to others. I think it's a, you know, it's such a reward beyond money and prizes and attention, all of which are perfectly nice, but that, knowledge of how you can help others. I think, I still think it's the best motivation. I think it's the best motivation, Sarah. Well, it is because the arts are very important and powerful. They do provide well-being for people because that became very apparent during the lockdowns here because there have been a number of lockdowns in this country last year when all the theatres were closed, all the cinemas were closed, all live music venues were were closed. People realise that life is so dull because the arts colour the world. (laughs) I mean, yes, medics save lives, but without the arts, there's no joy in your life. There's no entertainment. So if you're in a job, especially you hate or you're without a job, it cheers you up and makes you feel better. If you can go and see a theatre production, a musical or play or go to see live music or go to the cinema, and when that all that stopped, life if life was just about going to the supermarket because all the non-essential shops were closed, <laughs> right, right. and then and and then coming home, yeah. and that's it. Eating, watching some TV, and going to bed. Yeah. So um, and so, uh, 
when that, that became apparent, the government started funding the arts in this country. It did? Because all the theatres had to be closed. Oh, and, and so they then realised, because Andrew Lloyd Webber, I think, put in a petition as well, because he's a very good man. He, yeah. he set up a charity so children from poor backgrounds can learn musical instruments. Nice. He, I think, launched a petition with others, other prominent people in the arts, for there to be funding of theatres while they were closed, because otherwise they won't be able to reopen. Right. And then also of um, orchestras and other things, because musicians here marched on Parliament, I think, last September, because a lot of people who play in orchestras when musicals are on, the audience overlook them. They just focus on the actors. But those people, it's their, it's their livelihood to yeah. be playing yeah. in the orchestra while the musical's on. And, those, and, a lot, and a lot of people in the industry are freelancers. And so people were having to stop doing what they love, such as play the violin or cello, and try to get something else if they couldn't get funding, because most of the funding here went to people who were employees. It was known as the furlough scheme. But if you're an artistic person, and a lot of them are freelancers, so they couldn't get the funding. So it, it, the government became aware how, how important the arts is as well. It's not just about medics saving lives. No, no. You know, it's I, I am biased, obviously. But when I was a young man, I honestly couldn't imagine a more more important work than being an artist. It seemed like the best, mm. like that your job was to entertain people, to bring them joy. I just, I thought, what is better? I mean, I understand we need all these other things. We need someone to do all these other jobs, some of which I've done myself, but yeah. it seemed like the arts just, it seemed like to me, the pinnacle of work, but obviously I had a, I had a bias because that was where mm. my I was pointed and but I still think it's incredibly important and we and just like you said it gets undervalued when we don't have it you know when mm -hmm. life just becomes about you know when it becomes just that's what I like about it actually now that now that listening mm -hmm. to your description of it Sarah is when life becomes about survival and and the pandemic has can can bring that up it becomes very dry and um kind of grinding and art says let's let's make life about more than survival what if life mm. is about more than mere survival? Yeah. Mm. What do you think? Mm. Well, it is very important because when everything opened up again, people's well-being improved greatly because during lockdown, there were people who felt suicidal, um, people who just felt so isolated. It depends yeah. also on your personality type, because there are people who aren't affected like that. I'm not because I grew up as an only child. I got on well with people, but because I didn't have an extended family about and brothers and sisters, it doesn't affect me. But they're people who constantly need the company of others. Yeah. So that cycle, that so that personality type can't bear to be on their own even for a day. And then yeah. they use places like um, the cinema or the going to the pub as places, you know, they can go out with a friend or friends. And if all that's closed down, they feel so isolated. So yeah. people's sense of their well-being was really deteriorating when yeah. the arts were closed down. And now it's all opened up again. People feel better. And I remember I saw a, a student interviewed who was so pleased when all the nightclubs reopened because she said it was making a, it was having a really bad effect on her mental health. Yeah, it's tough. I, I do think one of the advantages that writing teaches you, and I understand there's a personality type, writers do like to be alone. We do like to be alone. But I do think there is, it is important, Sarah, that people mm. understand that life is not just something that we respond to mm. or manage or interact with. It's fun to do that, but there is an inside out quality to life. Because, mm. you know, when you sit and face the blank page, Sarah, there's nothing to react to. 
There's only mm. the thing that wants to be created. And I think mm. a lot of people don't understand that within them is something that they can, their lives can be more like a blank page than they understand. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. You know, and yes, you probably it treat it that way just without even thinking about it because it's been in your nature for so long, but a lot of people mm. do not understand the creative power they have over their lives. I don't. Yes. And that's the greatness of writing as well. You've got the blank page, but your imagination gets to work. So you can actually oh, yeah. then put things on the page. Yes. Yes. You see. Yeah. Whereas and without that, that imagination in your brain, in your mind, you can't do that. Nope. Uh, so that's what's so great about it. It is. Because, of course, with uh, when you when you learn a musical instrument, you can eventually create your own piece when you become advanced. But when you're a beginner, and even probably of an intermediate level, you rely on other 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 people's work. So yeah. you open and you and you start playing um, a piece of music that someone else has created. Yeah. But with yeah. writing, you have to create your own. You can't copy others because, of course, it's plagiarism. Well, and it just. I mean, I know, I think probably if you're, you, what you do, I think as an artist, and I was this way, is you read stuff you really love or you watch stuff you love, like you did with uh, those television shows and you yeah. recognize a, a thing you're interested in and you want, I want to do my version of that. So you don't yeah. copy it, but you sort of imitate the, you know, I wrote fantasy literature when I was young. So I read Lord of the Rings and I read yeah. I and the Witch in the Ward, but I thought, oh, that's what I'm interested in. And then I did my mm-hmm. own version. Of it. So you do get inspired, but you can't, although I will say, I write music too. And I, when I, when I learned to play the songs I used to love to listen to, that was very mm. helpful understanding mm. the relationship between chord and melody and why yeah. I was liking it and so on. That, mm. that did mm. teach me a bit, I have to say, mm. Mm. the actual playing, you know, I don't know if you had that experience when you were trying to play, if you were strumming out some chords for a song you were learning to learn like, Oh, I see when you do the six and the four, it goes, it sounds like that. Mm. that you know what I mean? Yeah, I remember the first song I strummed was Blowing in the Wind. Ah, I oh, loved very nice. singing that John Denver, wasn't it? Yeah. No, that uh, was Bob I, I, Dylan. I, yeah. That was Bob Dylan. Oh, was it Dylan. Bob Dylan? Oh, yeah, I loved, yeah, I loved strumming that. And I remember there was one chord I had difficulty with and I eventually mastered it. And oh, I felt so great, the fact I mastered it. Yeah. Um, and, um, oh, yes, I forgot. I did learn the keyboards as well. I went to an adult education class, but I didn't teach it because it's like patting your head with one hand and rubbing <laughs> your stomach with the other. I couldn't coordinate the left hand because I think I think what it is, people will take to some instruments more easily than others. As, for example, I love swimming. I've been able to swim since I was seven, where someone else wouldn't take to it. They like jogging, whereas I can't stand jogging. Right. Um, right. So I think it's the same with musical instruments. It depends yeah. on yeah. the individual. Some I, I talk to the guitar very easily, but not the um, keyboard. Someone else will probably find the keyboards far easier than the, the guitar. Yeah, that's me. I, my mom played the guitar and I was dying to learn because I wanted to be a rock and roll star. So I was, my mom yeah. played the guitar, but I found, this is pathetic, but the strings hurt my fingers. And I was like, oh. I don't like that feeling. Yeah. But when I started, I played the flute for years and years, but then I learned yeah. to play the piano and, and yeah. I, I play it in my own caveman fashion, but it does the trick. Yeah. Um, so, so Sarah, all right, Sarah. So what is, what right now, what Mm -hmm. is Sarah really interested in? What is she focused on? What is she, what's got her attention right now in this, in, in 2021? Well, it's actually completing my novel, 14 Bencham Grove, which is actually 
based on my childhood, it's set in London in the 1970s. And the setting is the house that I lived in when I was a child. It was an old house divided into bedsits. Mm-hmm. And my parents and myself were lucky to live there because usually with that type of accommodation, it's for single people, not for families and it was a house whereby the sun didn't even shine in even if it was 90 degrees outside so it's about the 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 lives of the tenants who live in that house based on the people some of the people who actually lived there and then I'm the main character the Jennifer is based on me I used to eavesdrop outside some of the rooms and um, because there were there was a couple opposite Mr and Mrs Johnson and um the place stunk of stale bacon and the door would creak open and she would appear with her beret on and her winter coat, I remember. Um, so um, it's, it's based on it's based on that. So yeah. and it's got it's got humour in it as well. Okay. But um, it's got um, it's got upset as well, of course, because of Mrs. Course. Johnson loses her husband, even though he was horrible to her in their later years together. And so she joins the Lonely Hearts column because i didn't have the internet then of course and 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 then she meets a man and this is funny he they go on a date and his dentures drop out in the soup excellent that is good it's good comedy well so are you liking writing are you enjoying the novel yes yes i mean i've written about i've written about 15 chapters Mm. it's just finding the time to finish because as you know a novel takes far longer to write than poetry or short stories and I remember Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. I read that. I loved that. Yeah. And it yeah. and I read up about him, and it took him seven years to write. I can oh, see yeah. why, because you know, fitting in with a, a a job that you're doing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But it's uh, but you have to be very determined because I saw the film based on Aretha Franklin last week that's just opened here, starring yeah. Jennifer yeah. Hudson. Yep. Yeah. And I really felt for her. She was signed to Columbia initially, and nine albums were released. She didn't have one hit. But it's good she had the perseverance and determination to continue because then when she was signed with Atlantic, she had lots of hits. But then they stopped from about 73 because the music went out of fashion. Yeah. But yeah. Know, she had a hard life and I really felt for her. Yeah. I, thought, I, thought, uh, I think she's a great singer. Oh, she was fantastic. She was fantastic. Yeah, well, but it was a long, hard struggle, though. And it <coughs> is for a lot of artists, whether you're a singer, actor writer you just have to have the determination and then you'll get there and you'll get recognition or even if you don't want recognition you'll eventually get there that's right that's right the main job i think the main job of the artist is to learn what it is they want to share to understand what really interests them to understand what they value and to not judge it and not to limit it and to find any means of expressing it in the way it wants to be expressed. And I think once Mm. you do that, you will find the success you're meant to find. Well, all right. So you're hard at work on your novel. Now, if people have listened to this conversation and they are very interested in Sarah it's pronounced City Bay. City Bay. City Lipton Bay. City Bay, yes. Lipton City, City Bay. Bay yes. Lipton City Bay. Where can they find out? Where's the best place to learn about you? Do you have a website? I don't think you do. You have a, I don't no, think... I, ha- I haven't. Actually, I did. Right. I, ironically, I had a website before I had anything published. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's good. Uh, I let the domain expire. Oh. Uh, but I will set up one again. Okay. But regarding the book, if they want to get the volume of poetry, it's available yep. from various websites, the Book Depository website. Okay. Also, waterstones.com, um, okay. I think. Also, foils. All right. U, dot UK. Okay. And um, there, there aren't many left on Amazon. Right. Um, 
but those are the those are the main ones. And there's also an audio book in her own words because I had to go to studio last October and I recorded all the poems in the published volume. Excellent. Or for for Audible because it caters for people who are blind, partially sighted, dyslexic, or illiterate, or just don't have right. time to read. Right. So in her own words, it's available from Audible. So uh, and and that's. Um, available as downloading, right. not as right. um, CDs. And right. then in January, poems not in this collection, as well as some of my dark fantasy tales and my children's book will be available on Spotify and iTunes from January 2022, because I'll be working with somebody from an independent record label. Excellent. Um, in November he's a he's a record producer part-time so he's going to do some background music to some of the poems I told him not to drown me up because they're poems and not songs uh, right so, all so right well. I, you have to make sure that the songs don't overpower the um the the, the words that's right because I because I've got separate songs yeah you know yeah. because I know from writing songs it's a different structure yes there is some overlap between poetry and songs but modern poetry especially is moved away from rhyme a lot yes, and yeah. doesn't have a chorus of course no um no. so um so i'm looking forward to doing that as well oh you got a lot of irons in the fire all right well sarah i have one more question for you and what yes. i want Could you to I just do... read one of the poems before oh that's a very good idea can, so people can get some idea as well yeah, that's a good because idea. of course fact... when they go to the websites they don't hear me no, to know don't. what any of the poems are like they can read up a synopsis but it's not the same as actually no, it's not to, and true so let's do this something. instead of my last question let's end on a poem i think that's an excellent idea go ahead sarah yes all right this is one of my favorites actually it's about um well i know it's it, it was known as the decade i think that fashion forgot Okay. And in Britain, it was a decade when there was the three-day week power strikes. And I remember as a child, my parents had to light candles because there were days we didn't have electricity. Wow. Because okay. there was a shortage of oil. And there was an oil dispute. Yep. And it was just before Thatcher got in, so Heath was prime minister. Right. Um, it's called the, the 1970s. Platform shoes, long hair and flares. Tank tops, maxi skirts, and bright shirts. Slade, Sweet, and T-Rex topped the charts, as well as the Carpenters, Mud, and Gary Glitter. People didn't seem to have a care. But then there was the three-day week. Britain joined the EEC. Some felt this shouldn't be the path that the country followed. Decimalization changed the currency. Heath clashed with the miners and they went on strike. Bombs were exploding in Northern Ireland. And the USA was still in Vietnam, wanting her to become like Uncle Sam. Nixon was disgraced by Watergate, was replaced by Gerald Ford, and the Cold War was abated by detente. Love Story was on at the cinema. New faces made unknowns into stars, and Shaft was a TV hero. Muhammad Ali won many fights, and he talked on Parkinson about the nation of Islam. At the Munich Olympics, some Israelis were shot dead, but the games continued nevertheless, although the Israeli tragedy was publicised greatly by television news and the press. Arthur Ashe was the first black player to win Wimbledon in 1975. 
Borg dominated the game in the mid and late 70s, while Olga was the prodigy of gymnastics. Her performance was filled with so much drive. The beetle was in vogue, and so was the chopper bike. And then there was a craze for the skateboard, which some parents couldn't afford to buy their children. Punk blasted like a rocket onto the scene. Spiked hair and piercing became the fashion. And punks appeared on TV who didn't sing but screamed. Some felt that they were really obscene. There was the silver jubilee when many held street parties. But this time of glee was ended by the winter of discontent. And Thatcher and the decade of greed was on the horizon. Excellent. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your poetry and your life uh, with us today. Thank you very much for interviewing me, Bill. I really enjoyed it. You're welcome. Right, there you go. Did something a little different. Why not? Why not? We got a poet on. You got to have a reader poetry. Yes, we do. That was nice. Uh, okay. Well, listen, I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries, as always. Thank you, my friend. And uh, to all of you out there, to all of you out there, remember what it takes to write the book you want to write is what it takes to lead the white life you want to lead. And everything is driven by love. What do you love? Find something you love to do and go do it. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.